Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Why, hello there. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Remember me? I'm, I'm trying to reacquaint myself with this iteration of, uh, of myself. Um, I'm feeling a little... <coughs> It's weird how taking a week off, and what I did is I really took a week off. I did not uh, read the news on a daily basis. I did not watch any television news. Uh, I generally avoided conversation about politics, and uh, my Lord, that was good. <laughs> and then I began to get nervous, uh, maybe about Friday, that I would uh, never be able to catch up. And of course, that's not true. It being like the soap opera that I've often said it is, I mean, you can take a week off and jump back in and nothing much has changed. It's just the same old, same old. And uh, so, and as is often the case with, uh, with vacations, I come back in a total state of exhaustion <laughs> and in need of, uh, of a vacation. Yeah, I do. But here I am, try to get back in the saddle here with you. Um, I don't know. What can I say? I'm trying to think if there's anything in the week that would be of any interest to you. Probably not really. Um, I did see the cutest thing <laughs> walking on a trail um, along the Fox River, which uh, runs through the city of Green Bay and into the body of water. Green Bay, which is part of Lake Michigan. And uh, since I grew up there, the riverfront has changed as it has here. Green Bay, too, a uh, industrial city on a river. Um, and the river was polluted and used for industry. The paper mills lined the river. Many of them are gone now, not all of them, but the river is cleaned up and there's just beautiful uh, trail for walking, biking, and all sorts of other things. And uh, it is just a stone's throw from, from my family home. And so I walked down to the trail with my dog and we're walking on the trail and all of a sudden, up ahead, I see what looks to be um, 30 easily uh, geese, big geese. And they're, they're sunning themselves in someone's backyard that f backs up to the trail. And then all of a sudden, they start getting up and walking across the trail and down to the river. And uh, <clears throat> my dog had never seen a goose, had never seen a, a bird that big, and he was he was very impressed and a little freaked. And um, I wanted to keep him under control because I had learned as a child that geese can be a little scary. <laughs> um, and then I saw this cute thing. Um, as the geese crossed I saw where they were heading to the to the river bank and there were a whole bunch more geese and two obvious couples um, and both couples were were tending to five or six little fluffy yellow goslings I guess, right? So they, they they didn't look like they'd been out of the shell for very long. And um, 
You know, there's something about bumping into nature in your own backyard, literally, that is so magical. I mean, I could have sat there and looked at those geese and their babies um, all all afternoon. It's just magical. But the dog was a little bit of impediment, so we, we continued on our way. But uh, doubling back, I was approaching where the geese were again, and I saw a young couple walking toward the geese. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, I can't wait to see them see this adorable, wonderful sight. So as they walked toward me and the geese and the widowed, fluffy yellow babies, two families, one of them, the guy, looked and then and and did not react at all. He looked. He clearly had to have seen these beautiful little goslings and their proud big beautiful parents and then all the rest of the gaggle and it was quite a scene and they did not respond to it at all it it frightened me it frightens me how disconnected some people are from the most glorious parts of our of our world, the natural parts that we often don't see and to see no reaction of delight or amazement or just awe was upsetting. I mean, the only thing that could have been worse is if they were walking the trail and both looking at cell phones and never having looked up. But as it is, they saw it and didn't didn't react. Something. So, that's it. I'm ready to go home now. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, the breaking news, I uh, just happened to see the uh, the longtime actress and singer Doris Day has, has died. Uh, you have to be a, a pretty old person to, <laughs> I guess, remember her. Because I'm not sure that she made many movies after the 60s. She was big in the 50s. Um, she was also a, a really very good singer, if you liked that kind of singing. Um, Les Brown, the uh, band leader uh, who she sang with for many years before becoming an actress, said that her uh, voice put her in the same company of Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. I, it is a, it's a hell of a good voice, and it is warm and emotional, and in a lot of her movies, she obviously uses it, but uh, she never, never did much for me. It's just too cute by, <laughs> too cute. Uh, America's uh, virgin, sort of what she always seemed to be. But she could, I mean, there's one movie I remember she made with Jimmy Cagney, and uh I thought she held her, her own with him, which is saying something. And then the other thing about Doris Day is that she spent, I would say, a good half of her life uh, rescuing animals. She was a serious, serious uh, dog lover, and uh, that is how she spent um, her time after her film uh, career and I always thought that that was pretty cool, too. Um, she got to star with um, all of the gorgeous men of 
of her time. I mean, my God. And she was in an Alfred Hitchcock film, which always sort of startled me because I sort of thought he liked icy blondes and not pert, cute blondes. But there she was. Um, and with a lot of films with Rock Hudson, right? Oh, films with Cary Grant. She turned down the role of Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate. Stop and think of her, really, seriously. Uh, you know, now that, that, you know, great film. I, I wanted to say iconic, but somebody was telling me recently that that's one of the words that has become so overused that they can't stand anybody saying iconic. So, um, the, the Graduate, I mean, with her would have been odd and thank God she she turned it down she uh, turned it down by the way because she said it offended her values um, the idea of this married older woman uh, seducing a, a young uh, graduate and uh, so she couldn't uh, couldn't quite do it um, but whatever, Doris Day had uh, a lot of husbands, none of whom were any good. Her last one seemed to be, that went on for some time, uh, his name was, God, what was it, was it? Um, but then it turned out after the marriage, she found out he'd like stolen all her money. She, he'd, he'd taken ter Terry Melcher, right? Melcher, his name was Melcher. And uh, she eventually won a judgment for more than $22 million. Um, and then she married again. Jesus. You know, why are these, why do people do that when they, oh, this one will work. Oh, the last two didn't. Let's try three. How about four? You know, I mean, after four, why do you even bother? Anyway, she ended up uh, with living on this huge estate with um, with dogs. All the dogs that she had uh, had saved, and she is quoted here as saying, "During the painful and bleak periods I've suffered through these past years, my animal family has been a source of joy and strength to me." I have found that when you are deeply troubled, there are things you get from the silent, devoted companionship of your pets that you can get from no other source. I have never found in a human being loyalty comparable to that of any pet. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people would probably uh, agree with that. A few other people probably were lucky enough in love that they did find a actual human being who could provide that kind of uh, true uh, non-judgmental uh, companionship and absolute uh, enduring love that an animal can. So, okay, I didn't think I was going to be talking about Doris Day today. Actually, speaking of uh, dead people... I uh, I noted in yesterday's New York Times, yeah, there were two obituaries, the and and both caught my eye um, for different <laughs> reasons, and and it, it made me think um, of how a person's life is is always, almost always, a fascinating story. I mean, you don't have to be someone who ended up famous and ended, ends up in a New York Times obit. But the choices people make and the struggles they have and the triumphs they might have um, are always so compelling to me. And... I guess that's why I so love obituaries because they're little obits always. I mean, little biographies, I mean, of um, 
people you don't necessarily know and to see how they spent their time. One of the obits is a, a guy who I'm willing to bet some of you knew. Um, I did not. I know a lot of people who knew him. And uh, he was a professor at the University of Pittsburgh for years and years and years. Touched many people's lives. And uh, his students uh, always seemed to just think the world of him. His name was Chuck Kinder. I think it's Kinder and not Kinder. Uh, Chuck Kinder, he was a novelist. And he taught, you know, creative writing. And uh, he became probably best known because one of his students <laughs> wrote um, a very well-received novel that used uh, Chuck Kinder as the main character, or a pretty, a very thinly veiled, I mean, so it was clearly Chuck Kinder. And... Uh, the student was uh, Michael Chabon, who went on to uh, to write many wondrous books. I, I, I think he's just fantastic. But uh, so it was Chabon's book, The Wonder Boys, uh, which was ha main character was based on on his writing teacher, uh, Chuck Kinder. And uh, it was Michael Douglas who starred in the movie that was made, uh, and he played Chuck Kinder. Um, well, you might want to revisit that movie. It's, it's, I think, sort of funny. I'm just remembering a dead dog. <laughs> That's not particularly funny. A dead dog a bunch of sort of uh, Pittsburgh characters, uh, a lot of drunken drug-taking, um, and apparently Kinder did a lot of drug and drug-taking, um, drunk and drug-taking. You can tell I've been on vacation and I can't even remember how to talk. Um, and... I just have a feeling that a lot of folks um, here would uh, possibly have have met him. He he came out of West Virginia. Here's how he writes. He's talk. He's looking at a map of West Virginia, and he says, "Sometimes, and I and don't ask me why exactly, when I gaze at a map of West Virginia at maybe three or four in the morning, I." I think of a more or less anatomically correct representation of a lumpy, damaged human heart. Now, if you go look at, a, at West Virginia on the map, you can see he's, he's pretty right about that, actually. Okay, so there was that. And then there was this weird one of a woman I'd never heard of, Susan Beshta, who... Uh, Chuck Kinder, by the way, was 76. This woman uh, was 67. And what blew me away was just the headline, Susan Bestia, punk rocker, turned federal judge. <laughs> I doubt that there's a lot of federal judges that used to have a punk rock band and... Um, and in fact, uh, was part of the scene. Uh, her band was, it says, at the center of punk's downtown social scene in New York, and that she presided over parties that uh, that would have uh, people dropping in, uh, like uh, Allen Ginsberg, the poet, and uh, musicians Johnny Rotten and Iggy Pop. Um, and to go from that and decide to go to law school, which she did, and ended up being um, a judge mostly, she 
did a lot of work for Catholic Charities before she came a judge, doing a lot of immigration work, asylum work. She would have been, it's sad, she uh, was sworn in as a federal immigration judge. You would want this judge. I mean, she's a clearly compassionate human being in that ugly system. And uh, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, right after she took the bench. Sad. And she uh, hails from 30 miles south of Green Bay, Appleton, Wisconsin, the birthplace also of uh, Pittsburgher Rocky Blyer. We have a caller. Hello, caller. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Oh, good. Because I called a week ago and you couldn't hear me. I don't know what was going on. But other people were going through, but yet I call other people and they can hear me. So I didn't understand that, but whatever. <laughs> but um, I know you probably don't want to talk about Trump, but I want to make a early, early prediction. And I'm not putting a curse on it or anything, but I think and I believe that we will have a Democratic president. Well, from your mouth to God's I'll give you the reasons. I'll give you the reasons here in a minute. One is the economy. This is the same economy that Obama had. And if you look at the numbers, he had better months a lot of times than Trump. But the problem was, it should have been a shoe-in for the Democrats, but people weren't happy. It's because of the low-wage economy. You could have the unemployment down to zero, which I believe that number's higher anyway, but that's their numbers. All of a sudden, it's important to him, and it means something. But it's a low-wage economy, so it's going to be the same thing. That is one reason plus all his baggage. Forget it. I mean, I don't see how a man can carry all that and get reelected. I just, and his, his numbers aren't there. As far as his, he won by the, basically by the skin of his teeth, really, in those states. And that could have went either way. That's, it's going to go, if, I don't want to say who's going to be the nominee, but I have a great, I, most people think, going to be Biden, but who knows? But that's what I believe. I believe that he's done. He could play the game all he wants, and his, his, he goes to his rallies and does the same old comedy routine he's been doing, and that's, that's just ringing flat. People, that is, that, if he's going to play that same old game like he's starting with Sleepy Biden, Sleepy Joe or something, that's the same old shit. That was a very unusual reason and the third, the biggest reason is the anger of the Democratic Party. I'm so pissed off about this guy. I mean, I wish the election was tomorrow. But it, the anger is out there, and anger brings people out, and we will win if people come out. But I think the anger, people are so mad. I've talked to people. They're so mad about this guy. And I, think, I really think he's going to lose. It's a waiting game to put up with him. Yeah, uh, well, I... You know, I I want to believe that what you're saying is true. I I just have learned never to underestimate this guy. I mean, he won with a ton of baggage um, the first time, and uh, the fact it, you know we learned something about the American voter uh, th th with the election of Donald Trump, and. I I don't know. I'm I will remain terrified until uh the last vote is counted. The the damage this jerk has done is beyond uh it, it you can't even measure it. It is really really something. I my 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 contempt and hatred of him is uh, is just boundless. I hate him for what he's done to all of us and to our country. And um, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I just, we were so sure 
before. I, I think being sure is a bad idea now. I really do. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But okay. it's, we're heading into a serious constitutional crisis, and I don't know what's the damage he will do in the next 18 months is, is hard to even conceive. Oh, yes. That's uh, the problem, the waiting through that well, 18 months is good. Yeah. You don't oh, know how man. dispirited uh, this country will be and how hard. Yeah. But thank you. I hope you're right. I hope you're okay, right. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right, bye. So not having talked about him or looked into any of this stuff, I was happy to see a uh, Washington Post piece this weekend, which was called A Guide to 20 Inquiries Trump is Working to Impede. I mean, it is just astonishing. Uh, You know, stonewalling is one thing, but to have a White House that literally is refusing to acknowledge that there is another branch of government <laughs> that exists because the founding fathers wanted co-equal branches of government with various duties in which they would check and balance each other and for that to happen they have different kinds of powers and for the white house to not be willing to acknowledge the constitutional power of the Congress is a constitutional crisis. That's somebody who's refusing to play by the blueprint. Well, it's actually, it shows, it's right, it's an impeachable offense, if you ask me, because did he not raise his hand and say that he would... um, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Well, he is refusing to even acknowledge the Constitution of the United States, which is a far cry from uh, protecting and defending it. And so at this time, you have the total stonewall on the request of the House Ways and Means Committee for his tax returns. Uh, That is the Treasury Secretary blocking that request, even even though the law is absolutely, (laughs) there is no, there's no loophole, there's nothing. It says, must turn over tax returns. They have the right to see this return. Um, So all of this stuff is going to go to court, and then it will go to another court. Appeals will be made until the White House finds a court that it has managed to pack with uh, some of its uh, often unqualified and totally politicized uh, judges. These are the guys who are supposed to be the original constitutionalists, right? Uh, And they are the guys that should, if anyone should, recognize the powers of uh, the legislative branch as clearly written down by the Founding Fathers in first. And in fact, it's the first branch that the Constitution talks about because it's the most important branch because it represents the true sovereign, we, the people. Now, the Mueller report, the White House now has... The Mueller report, now they've asserted executive privilege, I guess, in my absence, over the entire report, even though, of course, it's a lot of it is out, most of it is out. The White House is not allowing uh, former counsel McGahn to testify. Uh, He clearly is the central witness in the Mueller report, quoted, I guess, uh, more times than anybody else. He could be facing contempt of court. Uh, 
it's just it's it's unbelievable. Uh, Trump's uh, personal attorneys and uh, the Trump Organization are suing to block uh, Deutsche Bank and uh, Capital One from handing over financial documents that were also subpoenaed as part of a congressional investigation into the Russian money laundering and, and political interference in our election, which was uh, shown to be true by the Mueller report. And um, that is now uh, a court case. Uh, they are refusing to comply with any requests for any documents, any communications, any memos having to do with any discussions between Trump and Vladimir Putin. Uh, the Washington Post reported that Trump tried to conceal the contents of one discussion by taking possession of the interpreter's notes. There are investigations going on about the Trump International Hotel, which, as you know, is is in a uh, old post office, uh, federal historic post office, a federally owned building that the Trump organization somehow got a good rental deal on, and that has that. Th that is, uh, investigation has been going on uh, for some time and ha would have to do, I imagine, with the emoluments uh, clause. There are fi five different House panels that have demanded records involving a decision to relocate the FBI headquarters. I didn't even know about that one. Democrats say Trump was involved in the decision to prevent the building from being replaced by a hotel that would compete for business with his. Then we got the hush money payments. Then we got the security clearance issue. Then we got the family separation policy. They have still not responded to document requests from multiple committees on uh, the policies that separated all those poor children from their parents. And there's a bunch of other immigration issues. There was, remember, the National Emergency Declaration. Um, and on and on and on and on. There's uh, also blocking subpoenaed testimony about the census. Uh, the White House has refused to answer uh, questions or document requests on a proposal to transfer highly sensitive United States nuclear technology to that wonderful country of Saudi Arabia. There's another inquiry into Kushner's trip to Saudi Arabia where he reportedly met with the lovely crown prince. Anyway, on and on and on, and the answer to all is simply we will not cooperate. At some point that can't go on. The only thing that's going to break it is, frighteningly, the Supreme Court. And that court now is packed with Republicans. So I don't know. I think the next, what do we got left, 18 months? I think the next 18 months are going to be uh, frightening. Just frightening. And uh, we will be ping-ponging uh, from one crisis to another while, as Democrats, we'll be having to figure out who our best candidate is. 
I was reading something that said that, you know, the people who always want to play it safe are not necessarily thinking clearly. It was people who played it safe who put John McCain up. He lost. People playing it safe put Mitt Romney up. He lost. People playing it safe, supposedly, put John Kerry up and Al Gore up. Hillary Clinton. Those are all safe establishment, moderate, middle-of-the-road candidates. Um, and to see Democrats so clearly uh, heading over to Joe Biden <laughs> for the same reason. He's safe. We know him. Everybody knows him. Um, I it could be a mistake and the failure uh, early on and I don't know how much media coverage is doing for any of the female candidates to be breaking out because there are two especially who are impressive as hell and more that I'm sure are equally but I'm thinking of Kamala Harris and uh, Elizabeth Warren and believe me, if they were, if they had penises, uh, they would be much farther up in the polls and getting a lot more attention. And if anyone disagrees with that statement, um, I'd love to hear your argument. I think there's no doubt about it. The three leading contenders right now are three white men. Two of them older than Donald Trump. And I, those are the safe things, right? That's safe. Granted, Buttigieg is not necessarily safe by virtue of his sexual orientation, but three white men, that's who's overwhelmingly ahead for the Democratic Party, the most diverse party, pretty amazing and bespeaks a certain terror <laughs> I think or lack of belief but I'm just saying going safe with candidates is not always a winner's deal it is not and again carry gore those are all considered safe bets. McCain, Romney. What's, what's not to like? Nice middle-of-the-road kind of people. Kurt wants to know, how can I mark Dora's days passing without saying, Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Is that her big song? Yeah. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Well, she sang it a lot better. Uh, Kurt says he's also struck by the passing of Peggy Lipton. Peggy Lipton was uh, on the, she was the female on Mod Squad. And uh, she also was married to Quincy Jones, was she not? And she also was in Twin Peaks. And Peggy Lipton died um, at the age of 72, also this weekend. So there I will. <laughs> oh, my. Roger writes, I agree with you about not underestimating Trump uh, in 2020. However, can you imagine a debate between Trump and Biden and that that ass would start stalking Biden like he did Hillary? <laughs> I don't think he'd do that to a man. I don't think he'd do that to a man. 
Biden might knock the fat sack of shit on his ass. Uh, now, listen, let everybody try to contain their... And Roger says we need an African-American on the ticket, without a doubt. But Or a woman. We got to have a woman. Oh, God, I don't know. So, let's see what else I got here. Somebody <laughs> tweet. This was, t this was too depressing to even, although it's so funny. Somebody tweeted out a um, a questionnaire, uh, and this this is the question, okay, to Americans in this day and age: Should schools in America teach Arabic numerals as part of the curriculum? What do you think Americans said? <laughs> Should we teach Arabic numerals? Well, let me see here. Uh, looks like the vast majority said no. 56%. No! Arabic numerals? Are you kidding? Scary. 15% had no opinion, 29% said, uh, duh, yeah. Uh, you know what Arabic numerals are? They're the ones we use. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're the ones you know. Those are Arabic numerals, ladies and gentlemen. What are these idiots who don't want us to teach Arabic numerals want us to go back to what? Roman numerals? And somebody put it out there and then said the saddest and funniest testament to American bigotry we've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's not just um, America's bigotry, it's their stupidity. Stupidity. My God. God. Um, John Paul Stevens, who used to sit on the Supreme Court, boy, this guy's amazing. By the way, when he was first um, went before the Senate for his uh, for his nomination to the court, one of the big issues then was that he had had one of the first open heart surgeries. Um, the year was, God knows what, when would that have been? Um, had to have been in the 70s? I mean, this guy goes way, 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 way back. Um, and one of the questions that the Senate was wrestling with is, was his health uh, a, a factor? And, uh, you know, you don't want to put somebody on whose heart has been opened up and they put a new valve in or something. Yeah, he became one of the first to receive a heart bypass operation. And uh, he was a relatively young man at the time. And this was 1975. Well, they, they decided to take a shot, and he was uh, given the nod and uh, went on to the court in 1975. He, um, I don't know if he's the longest-serving justice. Maybe, maybe not, but he was appointed. He was a Republican, understand, and uh, he spent more than a third of his life 
on the Supreme Court. Um, he's 99 years old now. And he has written a new book. And, it, and he was interviewed for an article, and man, this guy is still sharp as a tack. And he says, one of the things you have to get used to on the court is losing. You get used to losing, especially someone like him who was always in dissent. And he said, my batting average was probably pretty low. But here is a guy who was appointed by Republicans. It was uh, Richard Nixon who first put him on uh, the federal uh, bench. And then it was Gerald Ford who elevated him to the Supreme Court. And um, he blew people away in the course of his tenure by becoming more liberal by the <laughs> minute becoming, without a doubt, one of the most liberal justices ever on the court. Um, in his book, he writes about his distress at what's happening to our country. He says, you wake up in the morning and you wonder what's happened. He says he doesn't comprehend why the court now doesn't recognize that partisan gerrymandering is a clear constitutional violation every bit as much as racial gerrymandering. He says it's the same issue. Public officials including state legislators who draw these maps, have a duty to act impartially. The whole point of partisan gerrymandering is to create an unfair result. It's unconstitutional. But this Republican court, so far, has been unwilling to say that. And... And Justice Stevens says that he must confess he's shocked at um, John Roberts, the Chief Justice, who he said he always respected and admired. But he says, wow, he's more conservative than I realized. What an amazing life this guy has lived and he came from a very wealthy family in Chicago and because of that his life was filled with astonishing you know paths path crossing with famous events um, let me give you some I just think this is wonderful he was in the stands at Wrigley Field when Babe Ruth called his shot in the 32 World Series he says, without a doubt, my most important claim to fame. He, although he was a, a Republican, was brought by his father, a Republican, to the Democratic National Convention when Franklin Roosevelt explained the New Deal on his way to becoming the President of the United States. When uh, his family opened uh, a, a big, huge hotel in Chicago, Amelia Earhart was there and uh, told him he, it was way too late uh, for him to be out because it was a school night. Charles Lindbergh gave him a caged dove. He saw Gone with the Wind the week it opened in Atlanta. He was smitten when he met Princess Diana. And, this is cute, 
An encounter with the composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein provides, um, well, a body anecdote in his book. Um, he was at a dinner at the French Embassy in Washington, and Stevens and his wife were seated uh, next to Leonard Bernstein, um, who had just conducted at the Kennedy Center prior to the dinner. And uh, Stevens' wife turned to the great conductor and composer and said, what is it like? I mean, what, what are the emotions that you feel when you're conducting a, a masterpiece, standing up there with all those musicians and conducting she said to Bernstein, and his answer was, which the justice puts in his book. Bernstein replied, it's like fucking in a cathedral. <laughs> so... He is um, very worried about the court. He's not willing to talk right now because they sti he's still maintaining his... Um, when he was asked in this interview, uh, what do you think about the president? His response was, nothing that you don't know already. Justice Stevens, that's a 99-year-old smart cookie who has seen the world go by, go through hell, come back again, and he, like my 97-year-old mom, is more worried than he's ever been about our future. And when people who've lived through the Great Depression, through World War II, through the Cold War, through all kinds of ups, downs, recessions and stuff, uh, civil rights era, Vietnam, when they, when they look at this world right now with the benefit of their century almost of paying attention, and they're scared. I think it would behoove us to feel the same. Uh, one of the things, um, hey, I drove by um, on my trip. I, I drove, I, I, I have come to so hate air travel that and I've never loved driving long distances, but I've now decided it is preferable. I don't care. I, it is preferable to an airplane because even though the airplane gets you there faster, if you start adding up the time it takes to get to the airport, to go through security, to, ride, to have your plane canceled and or delayed to finally get you to where you're going, then to get from that airport to the, sometimes the best thing to do is drive it. So for the first time since I've lived in Pittsburgh, which is the place I've lived longest in my life, um, I drove from here to Green Bay, my hometown. And you know what? It's doable. It's totally doable. Astonishing. But we drove uh, through uh, South Bend, Indiana, which is uh, Pete Buttigieg's uh, town. And um, I noted that he was uh, speaking over the weekend. And this is something, you know, I generally like uh, almost everything I hear him say, and I like this. He was warning 
Um, he was speaking before an LGBTQ uh, group, um, some event hosted by the Human Rights Campaign, and he was talking about all the marginalized, uh, historically oppressed uh, groups that uh, the Democratic Party embraces in its diversity uh, from, uh, you know, Latino farm laborers to civil rights activists to gay rights to on and on. Uh, and, and, and he was saying that the Democrats tendency now to constantly be pulling into tighter and tighter identity groups so that you see in the LGBTQ community splinters, right? Uh, the L's don't like the Q's, don't like the T's. You know, they have different uh, concerns when in fact those kinds of splinterings that occur always on the left do nothing but tear us apart. So he's worried about identity politics. I am very worried about identity politics. He said they can be corrosive. They can drive people with a common purpose, bitterly apart. And you know, all you have to do is look at the, you know, look at the uh, the real lefties. I mean, they splinter into so many little atomized groups; it's a joke. You know, and in Russia, you saw right, the Trotskyites, the Stalinists, the this is and that's, the blues. I mean, they, and and and. They started with a common purpose and then just go at each other's throats. This is what we can not afford to do. It's why I hate identity politics. Buttigieg said this, uh, the wall I worry about most isn't the president's fantasy wall on the Mexican border that's never going to be built. What I worry about are the very real walls that we are always putting up between us, between our own selves as we get divided and carved up by these, you know, need to identify in a smaller and smaller group. In this New York Times article, it says that he made a very explicit appeal to the audience he was looking at. And he said, because it was a lot of gay people, and he said, and what every gay person has in common with every excluded person of every kind is knowing what it's like to see a wall. That is what we must remember. You're black, you've seen the wall. You're an immigrant, you've seen a wall. You're trans, you've seen the wall. We can't be at each other's throats because we bumped into a different wall. We're all bumping into walls. We, that gives us common cause. It drives me crazy that the gay pride parade here has splintered for the last three or four years. So now there's two pride parades. Insanity. I'm sorry. It's fucking insane. And what it does for people like, let's say, me, who would want to show my solidarity with the gay community, it puts me in a position of having to choose 
Why? I don't want to have to choose. Whatever fight's going on with you guys is not my fight. So the more you pull apart, the more you create an inability for people on the outside to join. I wish it would stop. Too many cooks. Anyway, okay, that's it for me. Um, a little shaky starting out, but that's the way it always is. I'll get my feet under me, and uh, Susan should be joining us uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll have another go of it. Okay? Thank you. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.